Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Harold Hay. This was recorded probably two years ago at this point. Corey and I went on a very long vacation. We're tanned, we're rested, and we're ready. And so I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to Harold Hay. It's Corey Vaughn with Adam Samaha. And today we're uh, talking about Dangerous Lumber, which is written by John D. Beck and Ron Hart and directed by Sherm Cohen and Frank Weiss, or possibly Weiss. I don't Ooh. know how he pronounces it. Um, yeah, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this episode, we uh, talk Freud. Some Freud. Lots of Freudian slips. Um, we say penis a few times. Yeah, it's our raciest episode. Definitely. Our bluest. Yeah, bluest. Uh, blue balls all the way through. <laughs> what? It's about baseball. That's true. That's Oh, that's very true. Yeah, it's, I'm allowed to say that. You are. Um, uh, this episode has the grand return of Mickey K-Line. Um, Classic. Yeah, it's it it uh, it's kind of clunky at first when you th- to think too uh, too Freudian about it, but I think we got I think we had a good conversation. Yeah, I think it was great. I think we did a super great job. I think when you can get over dipping the toes into the sexual pool and during a kids' cartoon, I think it, you just you have a great time. It's a great time. Um, bef- just some housekeeping uh, that we tell you every time, which is uh, email us at hey.haroldhay at gmail.com and also rate and review us, please. Please do all those things. Um, but otherwise, I just wanted to say the name of the episode and the writers and the directors make sure that they get their props. This is a good episode. They did a great job. Craig did a super good job as usual. Craig's the best. We love Craig. Thanks for all the shout outs, Craig. Thanks for all the, the, the good you've done for us. AKA Hey Arnold. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the show. Bye. This is our quick summary of Dangerous Lumber. In Dangerous Lumber, Arnold faces a dilemma. Every time he goes up to bat while playing baseball, he hits the ball. That's not the problem. The problem is the ball hits a friend or any stranger, any person, any animal in the vicinity. Uh, The plot of this episode is pretty simple. Uh, The first few minutes show how much he... Uh, how, how bad this predicament is. Uh, and then he decides to take a break. He stands on a roof overlooking Gerald Field as his friends play baseball. His grandpa comes and counsels him and says, let me show you how to play baseball and maybe we can cure you of this. Uh, and so guess what? He's not cured. He hits Arnold in the butt. He Arnold hits his grandpa in the butt. He hits um, uh, someone. He hits Ernie through the window. He hits... Uh, his pig and grandma. Uh, and so Arnold says once and for all that he quits, uh, which of course his friends don't want him to quit. They have a big game against the fifth graders. But as Arnold solemnly walks around thinking about it, uh, which definitely includes going to an arcade and busting the uh, baseball machine, uh, Arnold's pretty sure that he's uh, content with his decision. After another meeting with the fifth graders where they make fun of the fourth graders as usual. Thanks Wolfgang. Um, Arnold dejectedly uh, wishes his friends good luck. 
and uh, walks around town, still moping around. Uh, then he sees his old friend Mickey Kaline, the retired baseball player from town, uh, advertising his new hot dog shop. And so Arnold sits down to reminisce over the American pastime he no longer participates in, eating a hot dog and staring at um, the cheesy fake field inside Mickey Kaline's all-natural casings hot dogs. Uh, dog pound. Dog pound. <laughs> So Mickey, I, and the question is, does he recognize Arnold from Arnold from the earlier episodes? We don't know, but he comes over to Arnold and set and asks what's what's eaten him. And guess what? It's not the hot dogs with some cheers in the background. Mickey saddles up next to him and uh, listens to Arnold's plight, basically filling in every detail as if he already knows what's actually going on in Arnold's life. So. Just like Grandpa, Mickey gives Arnold a rousing speech about believing in yourself and not giving up and facing your fears, which, for whatever reason, encourages Arnold to go to that fifth grade, fourth grade game. Uh, it's bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, 10 to 7. It's the perfect time for him to prove himself. So he goes up to bat, two strikes, called by the Jolly Ollie man. So it's down to the last, the last possible swing. And Arnold hits it out of the park. Unbeknownst to him, it hits Mickey Kalen on the head. But to Arnold, he's cured. He runs around the bases, and the fourth graders win. And it ends with a great nod to the earlier episode of baseball, uh, with Mickey and Arnold tossing the ball back and forth in the field, talking about how Arnold uh, was cured from dangerous lumber. So, as I said, yeah, the plot isn't complicated there aren't many moving parts to get to that um uh climax of him hitting the home run uh but i am looking forward to this episode talking through it because um it has some pretty interesting uh, i guess not to jump too far ahead but i think it talks a lot about performance anxiety both sexual and masculine um it there's some conversation of like uh, setting yourself apart um, kind of in a, in a um, monkish or uh, like self-deprecating way. Um, and it, and it has those nice tie back callbacks to uh, uh, the original baseball episode, one of the best episodes of Hey Arnold lore. Um, so I, it, it's, you know, this is the third episode we've done of this season. And I think it is almost as good as the first two. Um, it definitely has some strong conversations that we could have pointing to Freud and pointing to um, human sexuality. But so I just like dumped a lot of possible avenues to go down. Um, but yeah, what, what, what do you think about the episode in general? I think it's good. Yeah, I think there's some uh, Mickey Kaline has some really good lines in there that are pretty funny. Yes. Um, I think I, w- I will probably end up further complicating it, but add a few another read or two I'm down the yeah. episode. I think that there's something about like what I guess would call like the dark side of success, mm-hmm. which is basically like, uh, when you're surpassing those around you, mm-hmm. um, it usually is at their expense to some degree or pain or something or detriment. Um, and while you can't fault the person for doing well, um, it doesn't always feel good to those around them. And it sort of changes the dynamic mm-hmm. of what's going on around them. Um, and that to some degree, um, you can sort of 
uh, pull back and look at this in a sort of macro perspective, but like any sort of large scale success always has like an opposite reaction that's right, often negative. Right. And so I think, yeah, there's, uh, that's yeah. sort of what I thought about. There's other things too, but that's uh, one of the big ones. Yeah, I, I like that um, we could even have a conversation just about kind of Mickey Kaline's decisions to open a dog restaurant, like a totally. hot dog restaurant. I think that's an interesting conversation. Um, so I think for the first scene, um, I think we can enter into it um, from the emotional side, which isn't necessarily the main drive of this episode, but I think it makes um, it... it it's there's a moment that is the most sad and difficult for Arnold. And that's when he's watching his friends play baseball from his rooftop. And his grandpa joins him and tries to encourage him and call him out on, on believing in this uh, kind of baseball curse. Um, So, yeah, I think this scene is the best. There are a lot of scenes that connect emotionally to Arnold, but I think this one, because it's coming from his grandpa might be the best option to start with. Look at them down there, Arnold. All your friends playing baseball. The great American pastime. Wait, uh, ooh, wait a minute. How come you aren't down there playing with them? Too dangerous, Grandpa. <laughs> Are you still worried about that? Oh, come on. So you're not over some of your friends. Well, good for you. You're not dangerous, Arnold. You're just a good shot. Grandpa. Every time I hit the ball, I hurt somebody. Oh, every time? It's mathematically impossible, short man. Sooner or later, the odds are you'll have to miss somebody, and then you'll be cured. Come on, I'll prove it. All right, let's see what you're made of. So, I think the emotional side of this is that you can tell that throughout the episode, and especially in this scene, Arnold feels dismissed about his feelings and fears. Um you know, grandpa says, Oh, eventually you're bound to do well, you know, do the right thing. And it feels like what's being missed is that Arnold feels like a monster and feels like he's like you kind of mentioned earlier, surpassed his friends in some way. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think how else to like, it's not that this scene in particular is super profound. It just sort of illustrates what, how we can start to think about this episode. So uh, just visually, he's standing above his friends, kind of looking down on them, them performing together. And um, to me, to me, it feels like, especially when you think about it um, in a Freudian way, in a, in a um, human sexuality way, it seems like he's watching his co-eds kind of intermingle. And he feels like he can't even enter into that. Um, because of some mistakes he made basically with this baseball bat. Um, so that's one thing I thought about visually, um, even the fact that he's above, you know, there is this, like he has surpassed them in some way, as we've talked about. Um, there's a line later where he's saying the way I'm hitting, I shouldn't be playing baseball. And Gerald and Helga are like, uh, the way you're hitting, you're like killing it. Like you're doing amazing. And so there's kind of a mixed perspective on, whether Arnold's um, dangerous lumber curse is a good or a bad thing. And I think he's feeling that separateness that maybe like Helga and Gerald, for example, don't quite understand. Um, so yeah, I think there's some, even just those visual cues are really nice places to start for this conversation. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think there's to add to that, I think there's something 
going on where um, because the goal is to beat the fifth graders ultimately that sort of uh, there's like an any means necessary philosophy going on right. with the other characters and Arnold being sort of a slightly more he's more concerned with other people and slightly more introspective than some of the other characters but of course not Helga um, I think he's like very concerned with sort of um, sort of how his actions are perceived. And you talked about like performance anxiety Mm -hmm. and sort of uh, that there is like, there is, yeah, that there's like fear of failure, but then there's also fear of the flip side is that there's also fear of success as well. Right. Right. And and like success at what expense? So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, And, and I think he was so concerned about how what he was doing was impacting other people as well as himself that even the sort of, um, the goal of beating the fifth graders is like not even a thing he seems no, concerned with not. at all. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is almost a pure. It's not that it's purely an internal struggle because he's it's impacting other pe- people outside of himself. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I like the idea of them, and I didn't even think about it until you said it. But the idea of in that scene where they're elevated, kind of looking down. Yeah. And it kind of and it's it points to what you were saying about like being detached and separated. Um. And. Yeah. Um, I think, I think what I want to do, I kind of mentioned it off mic to you, um, where I want to start. And so I want to start, um, with kind of a blanket and maybe a little bit clunky and on the nose, um, Freudian, uh, read a second psychoanalysis read of this episode. Um, and it, it'll, you know, uh, yeah, let's just get as blue as we need to get, but, um, so to speak, uh, uh, and I think that will open up. Um, doors to more nuanced conversations that relate back to the Freudian read, um, but uh, maybe are more complex and have more depth than a Freudian read, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, So, uh, and and also we're going to, so I was, I was kind of re re upping my knowledge of uh, Freudian literary uh, perspectives and there's kind of two levels. And one is that that is, and that's very simplistic. Um, but there's the really simplistic, obvious conversation, and then um, a, a conversation with more depth. And so the one with more depth is the conversation about the unconscious and um, how maybe the characters um, are uh, like there's a deeper thing going on than what is going on on the surface and how um, different moments in the plot can kind of reveal that unconscious unconscious. Um, the, the most basic possible read is the conversation of phallic imagery and how, um, you know, like, yeah, basically the fact that his bat is what is causing him trouble and that bat is a phallic image. It is some sort of penis, uh, within, let's just say what it is. Um, and so when I bring up performance anxiety, I think one direction that is going is the uh you know a phallic performance anxiety a sexual performance anxiety um and i think there's other conversations about that as well that are maybe more about masculinity more about queer theory but if we're just talking solely about um like a freudian kind of conversation he is hurting people with um this symbolic penis image and he's like very ashamed of it. Like it's a sh- this is a shame based episode. He feels so bad. People are afraid of him. Um, you know, uh, you can uh, 
connected to any kind of like, I mean, it's almost like a disease, which I know you mentioned off mic that maybe we could dive into also, um, relating to this, but, uh, and, and that imagery is both, it's solidified in the baseball bat, but it even continues with like the hot dogs that, that when he is at his lowest point, he shares these phallic items with another man and almost like learns, like learns about his sexuality symbolically, obviously, like literally he's learning about kind of the folklore of baseball. But if you dive deeper, there's this like masculine energy happening between Arnold and, um, uh, uh, Mickey Kaline. And even earlier with, um, Arnold and Ernie and Arnold and, uh, grandpa, um, there are these like man and man, uh, teaching moments where, um, Arnold is saying like, I'm feeling inadequate. I'm feeling like I'm screwing this up. And, um, an older man saying, no, no, let me like tell you a story from my past or let me, let me walk alongside you as you figure this out. So yeah, that's like a really basic Freudian read. And, uh, the unconscious, the unconscious is that he is using this, um, if we're going to kind of do a little bit more of a nuanced Freudian read, it might be something like his belief that his baseball bat is causing him to hit other people and, and therefore giving him the curse of dangerous lumber. That is a projection of a deeper fear of both sexual and social performance um, yeah, like puberty and those sorts of things. Yeah, wh- whether it's puberty or something like just like showing up as some sort of like uh, person of prowess. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think to sort of add to what you were saying, I think although, and we've talked about this before, because in, in like earlier uh, episodes of us talking about this or shows, we've talked about sort of like certain subliminal sexual dynamics within the show uh which are sometimes yeah subliminal sometimes they're more explicit but uh this one i think there's like a there's the obvious obvious phallic imagery of a bat and then the hot dog which it like sort of the transition is so fluid between the bat into the hot dog because he's uh, the the picture of mickey on the title of his restaurant is him holding a giant hot dog yeah. like a bat totally and then the sort of paternal element to it too of like you were saying Mickey Kaline um, being sort of um, like, yeah, like a father type figure and sort of because he doesn't have a father sort of like guiding him right through this trouble that he's going through, uh, which can be related to sexuality, um, self-confidence, um, pu- puberty and all those, things, which is related to sexuality, obviously. But um, there's, and then I think there's another side to it too, which might be an, I might be misusing this, but could maybe be like a more like feminist angle of this, which is like sort of um, the inherent violence within male sexuality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that while this thing does exist, it's like a thing that you still hold and the th- a thing that you still live. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't necessarily have to always be like, there's the potential for violence um, mm, that you mm-hmm. may rep- that you may be a witness of in, in some of your own actions. 
And then there may be uh, times when, say, through male sexuality or expression of sexuality and through whatever way that is, like in the moment, it may not seem like it, but then actually long term, there's sort of right. an impact. So that, uh, what I'm referencing there is the final scene where he hits the home run <clears throat> and it goes through the sign at the top of the building and then sort of hits Mickey Kalen on the other side. But he's unaware of this happening. Right. And so in that moment, he thinks everything's cool. And I guess in like a Me Too type uh, scenario or um, time that we're in now, this is applicable as well, where you have this sort of situations that seem like they're above board mm-hmm. and, and consensual and OK, but are actually problematic oh, and yeah. don't even re- and don't reveal themselves don't reveal ever, themselves maybe. even in that moment or later or even the victim brushes it off right right and doesn't even bring it doesn't surface anymore mm. it's just something they hold with them and they don't even feel comfortable letting the other person down which like mickey if you watch the episode mickey even when he talks to arnold says like oh yeah i caught the ball and kind of seems wah. like he's gonna yeah. say yeah like and it hit me and it hurt, but he doesn't. He kind of just moves on. Right. And then they have this sort of like heartfelt moment. And in a way, like Mickey is and it could be representing both like peak masculinity and a paternal figure. But he could also represent sort of the burden that women carry in sexual mm-hmm. relationships, which is they are responsible for holding some sort of violence or some sort of wrongdoing, but then expected to also uh, transcend beyond that and act as a sort of loving yeah, figure really to this person yeah and and or like to their partner or right, to right, right. whoever this male figure is um so and i don't know um we were talking about this before like i i, I like tangentially understand freud but I, I but not haven't read him directly um but yeah so that was sort of my read of the situation and i think um it's clumsy and clunky and strange maybe to talk about sexuality in the context of like a child's show. But um, I think, and maybe this is a nod to Freud, like in the sense that sexual sexuality is a thing that is always running in the background. Yes. And yes. it's a thing we constantly suppress. And there's no way that like adults writing a TV show about human dynamics, which is what right, this show right. is about that sexuality would, even though it's within a sort of, um, childlike form that it wouldn't sort of make appearances. Yeah, and, and explicit and implicit. I I think while the phallic imagery um, is the clunky entrance into this Freudian conversation, I think the Freudian conversation that's actually having is having is that there's this like, um, like bubbling power dynamic that Arnold is confronting. And I think, you know, hearing you talk about kind of the feminist angle and thinking about um, Arnold's fear of hurting others and like uh, kind of his self-castration, he, I think he is being confronted with not only puberty, but actually the power of his, of his sexuality. Um, And that kind of leans back even into um, the inherent violence of sexuality, especially masculine sexuality. Um, or at least, uh, you know, stereotypical or uh, historical masculine sexuality. Um, it's like Arnold, like the first day that Arnold hits three people, he, you know, Harold and then uh, Eugene and then um, I, I the other who else it was. Oh, all of, all of his friends. It's like he he makes this mistake that is symbolically sexual, but regardless of what it is, it's, it's a power. It's like an explosion of power. And it's like Arnold sees, Oh shoot. This thing that I've discovered 
can go all the way to this like violent power. I don't want any part of it at all. And to me, what grandpa and then eventually Mickey, Mickey Kaline are trying to do is, is say, um, you don't need to be afraid of the power. Uh, eventually you'll learn how to kind of not only cope with it or use it, like actually harness it. And I think that's a conversation about maturity and like kind of the unfortunate realities of puberty. You kind of go, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that at all, but you will deal with it. That's, that's the nature of sexuality and puberty is that yes, it is a lot of power and you know, a, a mature person is able to say, and, 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 you know, obviously this is more pertinent towards a masculine conversation because historically um, and stereotypically uh, men are the purveyors of power, both socially and sexu- sexually. Um, so I don't think it act. I think the phallic imagery isn't, it's not about literal, like uh, penis uh, having sex. Like that's not what yeah, yeah, yeah. is li- it's not literally that it's just the entry point into a conversation about um, power and how power can be um, uh, violent and scary. Um, so I, I think that's more the way we can use the Freud conversation. It's not like a literal penis into vagina. Totally. And I think, yeah. And, and, and I, and I think the idea of like suppression is sort of an interesting way to look at it. Oh, definitely. Because that is sort of, like what it, what you are it's i don't know there's like a few different ways where this is really interesting i think it's like the idea of suppression is is really prominent and it's exemplified in the behavior of arnold who's constantly trying to sort of like to shove this down and exit the situation and not basically avoid it because yeah he doesn't understand it he is it's daunting it's it's overwhelming all these he feels things. like it has taken over him even. totally yeah and in a way, like, what is sort of great about what goes on is that it, like, there's a deliberative element of it too, which is is shown in uh, his grandpa and then Mickey uh, Kaline, which is that basically what you want in a society at large is sort of a way to sort of deal with issues in this sort of way, which is like you, you you're confronted with a problem and your maybe knee jerk reaction is to sort of bottle it up and suppress it, which can lead to long-term problems like right, you were right. kind of the uh, edging towards. Um, and then, but instead you have this community and these like paternal figures that sort of, want to sort of create a, di- a dialogue with you and sort of walk you through like why what you're feeling is understandable but like there's problems with it and there's like ways around that right right and i think sort of um it it is less about and now i'm feel my i'm feeling like this feels so clumsy to say because when bringing up freud i think the way, like I was talking to Corey off mic, the way that I understand Freud is through Frankfurt school and uh, like um, these like German theorists who lived in the States and other places as well, but sort of, um, and I know a part of what they talk about in, in terms of art criticism and stuff is this like, and I think it's Adorno that talks about this, which is like the idea of something as being purely performative as being problematic. Mm, and that mm. like the, the art making and art criticism as being sort of a, a push and a pull in the art making process. Mm. So something doesn't end when it is created like this sort of um, 
deliberative part of it mm. of like criticism, being able to produce art yourself, all these other things is part of this ongoing process. And that as being like the peak form of sort of art, I think at its, at its best in its best essence, that's like a very simplistic reading of Adorno because he's sort of incomprehensible and uh, interesting, but, but I think, and I think that is sort of shown in this episode where you have this sort of, uh, suppression that leads to sort of like deliberation with his sort of other characters in the show, which then leads to sort of to this transcendence or Mm -hmm. this, this thing beyond that. And I think that is very interesting. And I think it's like really ideal and it's like an Mm. ideal way to go through sexuality. It's a way to go ideal way to go through depression. It's an (coughs) ideal way to go Mm. through isolation or whatever these certain, uh, not all like sexuality is not an ailment, but like these certain issues that, uh, you can sort of uh, be confronted with. Uh, And I think that the, like everyone that presents him with a fix um, is, is some like symbolically sexual response. Like, like grandpa's is if you just hit enough baseballs, eventually you'll like, you'll figure it out. And Gerald's is Gerald and Helga are like, what are you talking about? Like this violence you have, it, it could solve all of our problems. And Mickey's is um, uh, uh, basically like face your fears. That's part of the process. And you'll like, he, he says it in a very vapid way. Cause he's kind of an idiot. He's like a big jock, like dumb jock basically is the way they, they, they he sounds like Mark Wahlberg in the town, like, or in like, one of those kind of movies, like very, um, like you gotta just get up to the, get up to plate and swing the, swing the bat and face your fears. Like it's not helpful in regards to depth, but I think what Mickey Kalen is actually saying is like, know that the fear is part of the process. Step up to the plate. It's hard, but swing the bat. And that actually is a very, it is good advice. He just says it in the dumbest way. Um, but but then the fourth option, which is uh, maybe maybe me stretching this a little far, but um, it's uh, you know Arnold's throwing the baseball bat into the trash can, and Ernie's like, you know Ernie, the the kind of uh, violently voiced, angry like blue collar construction worker that lives with Arnold and his grandparents. Um, he's like, why you can't quit baseball? It's the American pastime. And you can e- easily fill in like, you can't, you can't become a monk. You can't like lose your sexuality. That's like what life is all about is, is that that's that for, if we're going to talk Freudian, like that's how that, that response feels. And his, his answer, his, his, um, the way he says, let's fix this is by taking him to the batting cages, which feels so masturbatory. Like it feels like Arnold is, he's telling Arnold, this is a safe place to participate in like a strong sexual prowess. Like you're not going to hurt anybody else. You're by yourself in this space and like nothing wrong can possibly happen. Like have at it, swing the bat as hard as you want. Um, Don't worry about, don't worry about anybody else, but yourself. Um, So, and it's kind of uh, it's kind of passed by quickly, but you know, in the end, he ends up throwing the ball or hitting the ball right back into the machine, um, and the machine explodes and starts hurting all the people around him, which maybe isn't a one to one ratio, but it is interesting that like the most self contained masturbatory moment still doesn't end up in a place that Arnold wants. Like all these different options for like figuring it out only go so far, um, and 
the one that kind of doesn't give the answer is Mickey's, which is, yeah, it is hard. And you should look at it in, in fear, but don't give up like that. The lack of the answer makes it a little bit more profound. I think instead of everyone else trying to like convince Arnold of some perfect world that doesn't really exist. Totally. Yeah. And I think that was a lot. That was me like vomiting out. No, no, no. No, I, I completely agree with you. And Ernie is the character. Ernie, yeah. yeah. Who's already kind of a masturbatory figure. Anyway. Totally. And he's like almost like a, like a physical manifestation of the id, sort of. Absolutely. To, to, yes. to do a little yeah, Freud oh, 101. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got it the way you want. Yeah, That's what it feels like. It's yeah, like, yeah. and the way he says it, it's so. The way he looks, the way he acts, the whole thing. Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. base and primal sort of yes, about him. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And his job his like, I destroy things for a living. Yeah. Like, all of it. And that's been his, you know, he has a pretty consistent character, which I like. I mean, he, the first time you meet him, he just is in a, he lives in a house of bricks that yeah. all have all the bricks that he has knocked down. Like he just is this primal character. So it's a nice quick moment that kind of fulfills that version of sexuality. Um, totally. And, and I think, yeah, I, 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 the master Bayesian angle with the ball cage. I, uh, uh I, wow. I ball well. cage. Yeah. That's a Freudian slip. <laughs> Uh, but I also I also saw it <laughs> as like they're called batting cages, <laughs> not ball cages. Wow. Okay. The the batting cage, the batting cage. It also to me was sort of represented like what I guess like safe sex, and that safe sex while it is like a uh, like a best practice, it, yeah. it, it yeah, can yeah, also yeah. like backfire. Have, yeah, literally. Have, yeah, it can have like be problematic and like you can yeah. have problems with it. It's not. There is like there are some situations that are so and and. Uh, dangerous is not the right word because dangerous is dangerous. Typically always viewed poorly. Yeah. It's a complicated word. Yeah. That is both true and not true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but a thing that is, um, as like, uh, as dynamic as sexuality, there are a lot of possible end results and, uh, and opportunity for both success and failure. And they can't be like constrained by like the, you know, simple netting of right. a of a batting cage. Simple netting <laughs> of a condom. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I pulled that out as well. And I do think so. And I think sort of. Um, well, no. Never mind. Yeah. Um. So you also. Yeah. Let's talk disease and STDs because I think that. To if we're gonna talk sexual, that is yeah. an interesting view of it, um, which actually feels more feminist abject conversation as opposed to Freudian. But they kind of have a, a line drawing through. But the fact that like I I think Arnold looking over from above like kind of self contained, um, it feels both self deprecating but also. Um, it's it's like yeah it's ma- it's ma- uh not masochist it's it's just anti-self basically it's saying i'm not worthy of being like because i can't control my sexuality or my m- m- my masculine power i therefore do not belong in society totally um and there's something like very heartbreaking about that and that like a good example is uh, literary examples in Harry Potter. You have Lupin, the werewolf, um, Remus Lupin, the werewolf, spoiler alert. Sorry, he's a werewolf. Um, but you find out that in his past, uh, he 
would like lock basically anytime he would turn into a werewolf, he would lock himself up um, into a uh, what, what's called the shrieking shack. And the shrieking was actually him wincing in pain because he would bite himself um, when he was a werewolf. And that to me is like a, like a really fleshed out example of uh, um, this abject kind of uh, self-loathing. Um, but I think that's what Arnold's doing. He's like, he tastes this bit of power and is so afraid of it and afraid of what it can do to others that he's like, I must separate myself. So the only person I therefore can hurt is myself, which you see that he's like depressed, like sorely depressed up there on the, up in this high tower waiting to be rescued by somebody Mickey K line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the, I mean, in, in line with the sort of the sexual angle, I, I think like the inherent sort of, um, or potential for, um, sort of negative health outcomes or ramifications of sexuality could be yeah, STDs or STIs, whatever they call them now. Um, and sort of the idea of if one were to have one of those, probably the feeling of like being nervous to engage with others right? right. and feeling like, because not some uh, some of them obviously they, something you carry forever and there's it doesn't have to impact your every moment waking moment doesn't have to impact every se- right. sexual encounter you have. Uh, I know this is like um, human sexuality one on one we're going through right now. Um, and your body is changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but like the idea of cordoning oneself off um, and sort of being nervous to engage like is. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like a sort of thematic element of this. Mm, yeah. yeah. I don't know. And it seems, I, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like both applicable, but not as well. I don't know. I mean, I like, I don't, who knows how explicit, uh, as usual, we always kind of bring up that we don't really know if the way we're reading these episodes is how the writers intended. But I think this episode is so like kind of on the nose when it comes to the Freudian conversation that it's hard not to think about all of it, kind of all of it. Yeah. yeah so totally. it, it, it's related. It may not be explicit, but it definitely is a mirror, a, a, a foggy mirror of, you know, disease and, and yeah. Sexuality. Um, and I think the almost uh, just, um, in the similar vein, I think that the moments, uh, where his friends and everything are sort of egging him on, I think could be shown as like the way that men and women in society both have a tendency to like egg on the norm and the Mm. norm being this like specific type of male sexuality Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is um, a little problematic and slightly violent at times, those sorts of things. And while uh, part of you understands, or uh, like a lot of people understand that's not the right way to be, but it is also sort of like, uh, it seems to be waning a little bit, but like the sort of promoted form of masculinity. Right. And so that sort of egging on, but come on, come on. Like those sort of shows of dominance, shows of masculinity, shows of violence um, are oftentimes sort of like promoted by co- your community or communities generally. Um, uh, a Something I wanted to bring up. Uh, okay. So I, I, let's put a pin in a, I, I want to talk about kind of themes of success and, um, uh, both in regards to like Arnold's fear of success and Mickey K lines kind of 
like falling into success and then falling out of it. Um, but I want to, I want to bring up one related, um, novel. Have you read the natural? I assume not. No, I've never read a book in my life. Yeah. Um, have you seen the movie, the natural with Robert Redford? It's about, um, a, uh, the very like three sentence summary is, uh, the, the natural, he is a baseball player who starts out as this amazing pitcher, um, and he gets like wooed by this kind of mysterious woman who ends up shooting him. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. Uh, but he then disappears for like 20 years and then he ends up coming back as this unbelievable, um, uh, this unbelievable baseball player on the other side of the game, which is, uh, an amazing hitter base, you know, uh, base hitter and home run hitter. And, uh, he plays ball with this bat that he calls wonder boy. Um, and the, it's this kind of Excalibur Knights of the round table type of sword that, um, acts as his, I mean, it also is very Freudian. It's very much a phallic symbol in the, in the book. Um, and it kind of represents, um, his male drive and like just his drive in general. And, uh, I think it's a the, kind of the, the flipped version of this story, which is the bat is the center of Arnold's fears. Whereas in the natural, the bat is like what, I mean, he, he calls it wonder boy. He calls it, um, this like superhero type name, um, which represents like, joy and power and innocence almost. I mean, boy is such an innocent, um, naive term. Um, but in either case, the bat, um, acts as a sword that is expected to perform a certain way. And when it does or doesn't, um, then there's this like deep disappointment in not only self, but also the bat. And so that may still connect to like a Freudian read of it, but either way it, this, this episode to me is kind of a flipped, inverse version of the natural. It's a really great book. It is, um, not as, uh, happy as you'd expect a baseball book to be. Um, but it's, uh, an amazing book written in the fifties by R- Bernard Malamud. And, um, I'd say it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite books. It's great. But anyway, just wanted to throw that out as like a, a kind of a flipped reference to, to a lot of similar conversations about performance and about, um, drive, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it's possible like a story like that sort of, was influential in a story like this? I think it probably was because dangerous lumber is such a, well, it, it's a very, um, uh, double meaning term. It for sure has some like sexual connotations, I feel like, but it also, th- that name baseball is, I talked very positively about baseball in this, in this, uh, shit, uh, in our podcast, but it has so much weird superstitious history that, out of all the sports they could be playing, there's no sport that has more weight of curses than baseball. Um, It's a, it's a common trope in kind of baseball lore, both true and not. And so it makes sense that that's, that's the sport that they decided to use. So yeah, of course it was, you know, the fact that they're referencing both like the most famous baseball story, fictional story, and also like connecting it to some kind of curse that like everyone knows about, you know, grandpa's like, Oh, that's dangerous lumber. Mickey Kaline. Oh, that's dangerous lumber. Like it's this common type of affliction that overcomes baseball players from now, you know, now and then. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about like the fictional connection, but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so success, what were you thinking? Were there? Oh, I kind of, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty quick. It was just sort of what I said at the beginning, just basically that, um, that like when one, like when one has such quick success or a success generally, um, you can think about this in terms of, so say in a sort of sports reference, you have a kid that's exceptional or a person that's exceptional at whatever sport they're playing at a young age. Um, sort of the way that they get treated by others is like this talent is recognized or oftentimes like the talent is recognized and they're sort of like separated from their friend group and, mm. and it's, mm-hmm. it's taken from its fun, playful context and put into a very ser- serious, That's rigorous context. Yep. And then there's the alienation part, which sort of you talk about when he's like at the top of the, um, uh, building talking to grandpa and stuff like that. Um, and then, there's sort of the idea of there's business success and um, there's always people that are sort of like left in the wake of progress and success generally. And um, that there's all that. uh, So, I mean, there's one, I was just listening to a thing uh, about it today and people talk about it a lot is the idea of like automated, um, like AI driven uh, travel and cars and those sorts of things and having like automated uh truck drivers Mm. and that being like a quote-unquote inevitable technology which is fucking insane to say because it's not inevitable you could not do it (laughs) (laughs) or change it Uh, but it's like talking about talked about like it has the logic of its own and it perpetuates itself forward but uh and the idea of that sort of being that while i guess technologically it would be kind of interesting to see cars and yeah. d- driving themselves on the road carrying like loads of it would stuff be bonkers, around but yeah so cool yeah yeah and then it would also put a shitload of people out of jobs yeah and so and and most i mean you look at sort of the the Lud- luddites and uh the way they would destroy their machinery because they didn't want to be put out of work like forever ago so like there's always these circumstances of progress um breed sort of discontentment and, right. and trauma and all these sorts of things mm-hmm. and i think it's sort of interestingly uh represented in uh arnold in his <laughs> very uh powerful um swing swing he's saying i am not participating in that like get me no. get me away from that yeah um uh this is a different conversation about success but i think the uh mickey Kaline's dog pound has so many interesting uh, what's it called semacula semacula Gurla, how do you say um, it? I don't know. It, it's it's um, he's he's created this simulation of a baseball oh, field. Some, some ac- I don't know. I don't I know how to I'm say not, it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry for anyone who's much smarter than us. Uh, <laughs> it, it's this like techie, t- uh, like uh, more critical theory term for like, like almost. I can't pronounce yeah, it. I, I can't can pronounce it. it. Yeah. Um, it's it's basically like almost as good as the real thing. That that's the idea, yeah. and it's like. Mickey, this is, and it's such a common trope for washout celebrities. Like you may remember me from, I mean, it's Troy McClure in the Simpsons Mm -hmm. referencing an old film that was, you may remember me from such films as, and he lists all the great films he was in. And then he's, he's like selling, you know, soap or something. And it feels a little bit like this, like Mickey Kaline saying, you remember me, you may remember me from like my days as a baseball celebrity, now I've opened up this hot dogs shop, which is like the closest, like the only thing he could do, like his brain 
all his brain is able to do is say, well, I like hot dogs. Hot dogs remind me of baseball. I'm going to, I'm going to sell hot dogs. Like he's not a manager. He doesn't own a team. He's not, you know, um, he didn't open a little league, uh, you know, system in the city. Like he's doing kind of the most base version of it. And he's like decorated this restaurant to look like a baseball field with like Arnold eating in a dugout. And it, and he calls it, um, natural casings, hot or, uh, natural casings, dog pound. And he puts the emphasis emphasis on casing, which is a funny, like syllable mistake, like putting the emphasis on, natural casings um it's not the casings that are natural it's the hot dogs natural um and maybe i'm like diving too deep into the linguistics of it but he's more interested in the simulation the casing of his previous successes than the actual product itself and i think that's what like the way he says it um the 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 enunciation the way he says it is like a, for him, maybe a Freudian slip of what is actually going on, which is he's trying to recreate this space that he was once in, which makes that the repeated uh, tossing the baseball with Arnold at the end, kind of an interesting mirror because it's um, him doing the same motion, but he is no longer the star. It, like the, 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 the star is now the next generation, uh, which is a little silly, but um, I think it's a nice, uh, yeah, a nice continuation of like his desire to be front and center, but unfortunately, that is not that's not the case. Well, and I think that the it shows like the uh, limitations of sort of male prowess, it, mm. and and that that all that stuff is it, that it's all very finite, and he's on the other end of that, and right, Arnold's right. at the beginning of it. Um, yeah, I like the idea of it being like a simulation. I think it's pretty interesting, like creating this sort of um, well, hot dogs itself are a simulation. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. this is all the meat from all the animals made to taste like one meat. And it's like all the parts of the different, you know, all the parts of the pig to make you think it's great pork, but it's not, it's the worst version of it. Yeah. And even, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Hot dogs are so strange. I mean, they're good, but they're also like not good. I mean, they're, they're it, sort of disgusting. Like having a cheap beer and a, and a, like a subpar hot dog at a baseball stadium is great. And like you, you eat it and you participate in it and you're like, this is the way life should be. But if you were to have that at any other time, you'd be like, I don't like this. This isn't, um, this is where we, we add an advertisement for Rooch the elevated hot dog or, um, Hebrew national. Yeah. The, yeah. Not as elevated. The people's, hot dog. The the people's, people's hot dog. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, but yeah, like hot, a hot dog with mustard on it at a baseball stadium is very good, but nowhere else. No. And it, yeah, ba- baseball and sports culture generally, I think is, it's like a global f- thing, but I think the, the American uh, version of it is, is pretty unique and interesting. I mostly don't like it. Um, I mostly agree. I, I, the reason I like baseball, which I maybe have brought up before, but baseball has a little bit more complex um, lore and his history behind it. Um, it's it's like the traditions are weird. The the posturing at games is weird because it's not you're not watching players go from left to right. It's like everybody is together watching the same game happen. There's it, you're not rooting for a team on one side of the field but not the other. Like mm-hmm. 
there's this like, I don't know. There's so many reasons why I think, even though it's, it is, I will admit, practically speaking, the most boring of the sports, the, the golf. Eh, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's true. Um, but I think on the flip side, baseball has the most going for it. That has nothing to do with the sport, like the tradition, the posturing, mm-hmm. the lore, the history. Um, yeah. And I especially think especially in American context. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Like it, it's soccer or something like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think soccer is, is close. Um, when you take into account the rest of the world and, and it definitely has more weight. Like it definitely, mm. I don't know if it has more weird traditions. I feel like still baseball has weirder traditions, but of course cricket probably does. Well, I know. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's, that's a baseball, baseball. relative. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think soccer absolutely is more powerful of a sport. It's more important of a sport globally, but you and know, slightly more fun to watch, but I don't watch either of them to be fair. Yeah. I definitely don't watch any other sports, just baseball. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's uh Simulacra? Let's see. That's it. You said it. Simulacra. That I that was so hard for me to do. You were talking while you were thinking about it. Good job. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's exactly it. He he made a simulacra of a baseball stadium where he sold a version of baseball which is hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. And I love his voice. He has that soft Boston accent. That's like he's like such a big dope. Oh. He's great. Yeah, my, my definitely one of my the funniest moments I think and you mentioned earlier was when he's finishing all the gossip, like he knows everybody's name and exactly yeah. what's going on. Yeah. That was just good I thought writing. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um oh Gerald Field, huh? Like <laughs> filling in yeah, Arnold calls it the vacant lot and he responds, You mean Jared Gerald Field? Because he yeah. knows it's like he knows the town. He, yeah. And I, I mean it's fair, Mickey Kaline is kind of a god of the show. Like he he has this like soft understanding of um, of Arnold's experience, which I really like. It's actually a very tender moment, which can lead us right into cry of the week. Oh, do you have yes, any other yes. any other? No. Um, what do you think in cry of the week wise? Well, I mean that. Uh, oh, I guess I have a couple. I think the most like the easy one is just kind of the re- the repeat of them playing catch with that sweet music and and Arnold excited about telling the story. Um, I don't think it actually is sad. I think it's just nostalgic. Um, Hmm. I think, yeah, Arnold moping around is pretty rough. Like him seeing his friends play and like screwing up the arcade. Like he really, this is like a very emotional episode for Arnold. Like he really feels like an outsider more than ever before. Um, and so in general, and I don't, I'm usually more specific with cry of the week, but I think in general, the whole episode kind of gives me like two or three easy tears of just like, I just feel bad for him. He really is. He's like the animators animate him struggling and, and, and he's very alone in the episode too. Um, Totally. Yeah, I like it. I like that. And it, it does... I think that's what leads you into a more serious cry when they're playing Catch at the End because it, it, it's like he has released, so to speak, uh, released that like depression to a better experience. Totally. I like... I think mine is probably like... It's pretty corny, but the last scene... I like the idea, I think, of... Um, him being able to find this sort of 
parent, pseudo parent, father figure in just like someone in his community. Mm. Like there's something about that as like, it's pretty romantic and like a really romantic view of like an idealized view of city life. I think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that like there is the possibility in sort of a place uh, where a lot of people coexist and live that they can from time to time, like fill in each other's gaps as people. I think it's just really sweet. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. It's like, it's a great, like nostalgic moment, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's not just nostalgia, I guess it is. It is a, um, a connecting point for them. Um, and I wish that Mickey Kaline came back more regularly. I don't know if he comes back. I don't think he comes back again in the show, which is really sad because he's such a fun, dopey. Could Mickey Kaline be his real dad? Oh, I wish, but no, no. no? Okay. 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 That'd be amazing though. That would. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's that, you know, we, t- we went we blue today. We talked a lot about, penises and stuff it was fun um thanks for tuning in uh we do have a song uh and it is um let me pull it up really quick uh it's by basically it's it's from an album called music for saxophone and bass guitar and saxophone is spelled s-a-x-o-f-o-n-e i don't know if that's how saxophone is usually spelled i have no idea anyway it's by um sam gendel and sam wilkie's uh, and the, it's the first song on the album called B-O-A, one word, Boa. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a relaxing song. And, you know, maybe we should be playing some baseball uh, uh, organ, but I think this is a good song to yeah. end on. Um, yeah, tune in soon. We'll have another episode. Next is Mr. Wingo's Country, which is um, a bizarro kind of surreal story of uh mr Wynn's beautiful syrupy country voice and arnold and gerald trying to make money off of it so it's a it's a fun one um yeah email us at hey.haroldhay at gmail.com and just stop and rate and review it's not that hard no you just just gotta do it uh to do it okay thank you thank you Bye. bye bye